Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, CUSO International and Mama Way Wichita Centre announced a new program that aims to address poverty, inequality, and reconciliation within our communities. We will speak with Board Chair of CUSO International, Lloyd Axworthy, as well as Executive Director of Mama Way, Diane Redsky. We will hear their perspectives on this new partnership. Then Jennifer Papararo, the Executive Director of the Plugin Institute of Contemporary Art, will tell us all about Stages Drawing the Curtain, a new public art project that's opening this weekend in locations throughout the Exchange District and downtown Winnipeg. And as we have been every week this summer, we'll be joined by Christy Nickel and Christine Ahrens, the co-hosts of A Winnipeg Slice right here on CJNU. They're going to be joining us to talk about the stories that they've been working on this week. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello out there, CJNU, and welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Robert, it's a beautiful day finally. It was a little bit uh, crappy earlier this week, but we finally hit some sunshine. So uh, how are you celebrating the uh, the warm weather as it, as it dwindles? Uh, you know, I've managed to make it out to the lake uh, this weekend. How's that sunburn treat? This past yeah. weekend, How's I the sunburn? Say. You okay? <laughs> Maybe should have reapplied the sunscreen a little more than I did, but uh, nonetheless, I had a really great time. The water was nice and warm, um, and it was also, it was, you know, also a little bit cool too at times, so good to cool off. Yeah, you can never have too much sunscreen, so uh, hopefully that your shoulders heal up and you feel better by as soon as possible. I think it'll be fine. Of course. On today's show, we've got a, a couple interviews from an announcement that took place yesterday, actually. We were at, in attendance at Mamaway Wichita Center, where CUSO International and Mamaway announced their Mino Stat and program, which is actually Cree for making things right. And that program aims to make things right by sort of addressing the poverty and inequality here in Winnipeg. So this program and this partnership is is basically exploratory in nature currently, and it's in its infancy stages, obviously being just announced yesterday. But to ex- uh, to understand things a little bit better, we, we spoke with Lloyd Axworthy, the board chair of CUSO International, and Diane Redsky, the executive director of Mumway, and we got their perspectives on this new partnership and how it's, it's going to be a grassroots approach to reconciliation. Coming up after our first musical break, we'll hear from the Honourable Lloyd Axworthy, and after that conversation, we'll have our conversation with Diane Redsky. So stay tuned for those. They're both a couple of wonderful conversations, but before we get started with the show today, we always start things off with a song. So here are Dave Cause and Keb Moe with There's a Better Way, right here on River City 360. They say life is just a state of mind. And that you create your own reality within your mind. Therefore, you are in control. And everything is going to be all right. There is a better way.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Um, so I had the honor of speaking with uh, the Honorable Lloyd Axworthy, former Minister of Foreign Affairs for the Canadian government, and he's the current board chair of CUSO International. Uh, we spoke about the upcoming partnership with Mamaway right here in Winnipeg, and here is our conversation that took place yesterday. <music> First question: QSO is um, usually known for its work internationally, but why the ins- or what inspired the uh, the decision to do something here in Winnipeg with uh, with Mamaway? Well, I, I think uh, like any organization, you have to reset and rethink, particularly with the developments going around the world. And I, what struck me when I first went on the board was that here the QSO had been working for years with different indigenous communities. In, particularly in the Americas, uh, and it struck me having kind of worked at the university for ten years and in, in, on these kinds of issues, uh, there had to be a match, and, and that we needed to find a way to uh, really use the kind of power of the of the volunteer, uh, which I think CUSA was the vehicle for mobilizing uh, in the work that needs to be done in Canada. And as it so happened, that was part of the broader movement at the UN to take this issue of inequality and poverty and say this is not simply north and south or developed or underdeveloped, it is a universal problem and therefore it has to be worked at uh, in, in even in so-called rich countries like Canada, there's a not so much poverty that is both visible and hidden in many ways. Right in our very own backyards, obviously. Um, so how is this partnership going to help sort of uh, empower and and help with the volunteers and with QSO itself? Well, you know, this is, uh, someone used the word a journey. It's going to be really discovering how uh, it can be best developed. And I think, uh, you know, Diane's view of the reconciliation, is, uh, and this is a place where it should really begin, uh, to test out how can we, um, bring together, uh, particularly working uh, the, in the field that the Mama Way is so uh, crucial in, in terms of you know, children's rights and the uh, positioning, that there's just got to be a much better understanding in their larger community. That was my sort of uh, takeaway from my years at the university. There just is a lot of ignorance in, in the community about uh, the incredible resource uh, indigenous communities provide for all of us. And uh, when I said uh, kind of jokingly that uh, Tobacut Canoe, who was our elder, I used to have a meeting once a month with a group of elders and I just began to understand myself about really how ignorant I have been and probably still are, but it it, it opened up for me that uh, as a university, there was an awful lot that had to be done. And I keep saying, uh, and that holds true for all the other organizations uh, that are, are deeply engaged. And, and having a partnership, you know, they, the strength is greater than the parts. It is going to be a journey for all Canadians, all everyone in the world, basically. So why, personally, why is the journey of reconciliation an important cause uh, that you've decided to sort of throw your weight behind? Well, I, I don't... Th- it's not something that, uh, uh, you know, is... Uh, kind of just newly developed. I mean, I've just always felt, uh, this being my city, uh, that uh, we have a long history. I grew up in the North End, so I have 
I was one of the ultimate minorities. Try being a wasp kid growing up in the North End. You really have to talk fast or run fast. Uh, uh, but I just learned over time, in the years I was in, the, in politics and government, you just saw how uh, important it was that anchor institutions uh, take a leading role. There has to be leadership in this issue. And uh, that's why the partnership with MoMA is really important. The community is obviously going to obviously going to benefit, but how can how can the average person, the average Winnipegger, um, help to end the stigma of poverty and inequality and sort of start themselves on a journey if they haven't yet? Well, you know that's a very big question. We could probably uh, take up all your program for the next year in discussing it. There's a variety of ways, but I think the you know the beginning is to. Uh, if you want to make a systemic change, you sometimes just have to you know, identify a, a target that can lever that change. And I really think that uh, Mama Way is in that kind of uh, lead position to help begin changing uh, outlooks and attitudes, but can now be supported through uh, the work of CUSO. And I think using the volunteer capacity, I don't know how many people have come up to me just after our are opening and saying, how do we get involved? Now we have to find a way to do it, and that's what the project's about. Definitely. So for the average person listening, how can they get involved? Where can they go? What what can they do? Well, I think you better talk to Diane about that. <laughs> well, we'll talk to Diane Redsky coming up next. Thank you so much, Lloyd Axworthy, for your time, and really appreciate uh, everything you, you've been doing for Winnipeg. You're, you're welcome. It, uh, it's, a, it's a good place to, to work and be. Thanks, Nolan. Now, Mr. Axworthy mentioned that Diane Redsky, the executive director at Mama Way, would be able to speak to a couple of key issues in regards to their partnership. So after our next musical break, we will hear from her about the importance of the Indigenous perspective when it comes to reconciliation and healing. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick musical break. Here is Dear Heart by 101 Strings right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. We are now speaking with Diane Redsky, the executive director of Mumway. Um, and we just sort of heard the uh, announcement of the partnership with CUSO International. So what does that mean for uh, the Mumway Ichita Center? Well, it's an incredibly powerful partnership to begin with because we are really embarking on something that really nobody else is doing uh, in a couple of ways. One, this is taking great courage of, uh, and bravery and um, shows a, says a lot about CUSO International to focus in in-house in Canada. The other thing is certainly for the Mama Wichita Centre, it is really creating the space and the spot for grassroots community voice to be part of building something that is going to have, uh, that is going to impact us positively for for generations. And so those are the, uh, really the two most powerful things that, that, that come out of the, the partnership, um, uh, well, and then actually three. The, the third one being, of course, the Winnipeg Foundation and their work on reconciliation, which uh, they've been, and I am aware that they're involved in, in a variety of reconciliation initiatives, uh, both as a, uh, as a leader and as a funder and a leader. And so this is uh, uh, really important and really symbolic of having the perfect funder for a perfect partnership that really is uh really an exciting you know and today is about celebrating that and acknowledging that uh we're now prepared to roll up our sleeves and do the hard work that is necessary to um to achieve the the project goals of of creating a toolkit that uh will be will help people uh and guide people through a reconciliation process and what the what interests us uh, from the Mamawichita Center point of view is that CUSO International has tons and tons and years and years of knowledge and experience of working internationally with other Indigenous communities and their reconciliation and their rebirth and their rebuilding of their nations. And we can benefit from that. We don't have to learn things the hard way. We can learn from from all of that experience. And so... Uh, that's why it's 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 a uh, it's a really important partnership to bridge together that grassroots voice with with uh, with the experts that that have experience and, and knowledge already going down this road. For better or for worse, Canada and Manitoba and Winnipeg are new to the reconciliation process. Um, what has Mamaway's role been? Uh, up until now in helping different communities with their journey of reconciliation? Yeah, and that's a, a really interesting question because the, the just in the, I would say the last probably four to five years, reconciliation is a, uh, uh, like I said, we're, we're in a perfect place now. There's a willingness of, of Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities wanting, willing, able, committed to uh, a process of, of reconciliation. And in the last five years, I would say there's been uh, different models of, of doing it. And what really inspired as well the partnership with, with CUSO is that all too often reconciliation, and again, from my perspective at the grassroots level and an Indigenous organization, is that there are people trying to take it, run with it, and move too fast. 
uh, package it up and and now you're buying reconciliation in a way and it was never intended to be that way and our elders have taught us that uh, reconciliation uh, has to happen it needs to happen and and you can't rush it uh, you can't package it up and it can't be a one-size-fits-all it is has to be rooted in indigenous values and and in indigenous values are rooted in relationships and it's those relationships that we're trying to to rebuild and um, you know in a joking way I've said about three years ago that like we need a marriage therapist on steroids uh, who can really build that, that there's just so much hurt everywhere that um, that's why it's really important that we don't, that we don't rush it and that we, we don't commercialize it and we, we want to we wanna do the hard work and have the honest conversations and there are, there are steps that can bring us there and, and we know that if we, we sit and we build something together, then other people can benefit from it. And that is the purpose and the role of the toolkit is to have something at the end of this process that what I, the, I can describe what it's not going to be because I don't know what it's going to be uh, because we don't know enough yet. But what it won't be, you know, is a binder and a manual with a checklist that says, if you do these five things, you have reconciled and you get a certificate. Uh, that it it's not going to be it it will be a, a guide that will help people um, rebuild those relationships in a in a meaningful way and both bridging together the indigenous and non-indigenous organizations whether it's government uh, the 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 nonprofit sector or the the private sector and how do you uh, how can we, what can we create to help people learn from the experience that we're we're going to be going through and it's going to be different for every single person and every single organization so why what is the importance of understanding and incorporating the indigenous perspective on this it can't just be someone going in and saying here's what i need to do it almost needs to be here it needs to be a question what what can i do right exactly and reconciliation is really if if we look at it symbolically you create a common table and when you create a common table, you have, and, and it's a circle table, then you have everybody's equal and there's nobody missing. And oftentimes it's a grassroots voice that is missing from uh, like um, many reconciliation initiatives that I'm aware of, of to date. Of the grassroots voice is not even there, or and a often, corporate experience and kind of t- yeah. And sometimes you don't even have indigenous people there, and so the this is a uh, again a a we want to create something that will help others based on the knowledge and expertise of CUSO International and their work on reconciliation internationally. What can we learn from that, and what can we build? That will um, that will help us, and then ultimately help others. So the Mino Stat and am I pronouncing that correctly? Project means making things right in Cree. So how how do you hope that this project makes things right? Well, it's it's building the the uh, creating a resource for people that will help them within their own communities to make things right. And, um, uh, you know, one question I was asked is, are you going to bring in uh, grassroots organizations from different provinces into this? And, and I said, no, I'd, I don't see it that way, that we, need, we would create 
we would create the toolkit that will help them do it themselves because reconciliation also is is about empowerment and, and, and about voice and about engagement and involvement um, and again not rushing things and so every community is different every community has its own strengths weaknesses challenges and opportunities and and it, and and you know a toolkit has to bring out the best in all of that yeah i would imagine there's different subtleties within every community even province provincially there's different things that you need to address kind of and it can't be a one-stop shop yeah what do you recommend that the average person does in winnipeg um, to either start themselves on on their journey to reconciliation or sort of move forward on on that path yeah i think the the everybody has an individual choice to make on how they spend their time what they're learning um and uh, how they want to um, participate and in, in volunteer or otherwise. And so it really is, I encourage people, you have an individual choice to, to learn more. There are lots of resources that are out there just to, just to start if you want to just hang around the Internet for a while and do it anonymously. Uh, there's the Truth and Reconciliation website we have uh you know the mom wichita center has a number of resources on our website but there there's lots of resources that are available uh the other thing is that uh then if you want to get involved in 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 a sort of another level soft way of learning a little bit more about reconciliation i know the winnipeg foundation is supporting projects where uh, there are reconciliation circles happening all over winnipeg and so tapping into any one of those um, would be sort of taking it up to the next level. Uh, and then, you know, and then as people learn more, they recognize the inequality. And when you recognize the inequality, you can either be part of the solution or part of the problem. And that will be a choice individuals make. So if people are really true to wanting to learn more and be part of the solution on reconciliation, it starts with learning more about what the issue is and about uh, understanding what your place is um, when it comes to the uh, the inequality because when you regardless of where you are in that inequality continuum uh, there are different solutions to that so it starts with education by the sounds of it once you're educated you can have the experiences and then you can move forward based on on what you learn about yourself. Oh, you don't even know what you don't know on some of these topics. So and we're I'm really glad that we're also promoting as part of the reconciliation conversations and messaging is that uh, silence is also not okay. And being complacent is also not okay. So you either, you really literally are part of the solution or part of the problem. So, uh, so I'm really glad that the reconciliation uh, messaging is really including and uh, putting it on the individual to, to, to learn more and to understand, but also that silence is consent and that, uh, um, that there's an important role for everybody to play. So for you mentioned a little bit about the website for our listeners out there who want to learn a bit more, educate themselves, learn about reconciliation, what are some of the resources that they can, uh, they can take up? Well, I think just absolute like the work, the Winnipeg Foundation website, the the partners that are involved, Kisu International, and the and the, all of the work that they've done in other Indigenous um, communities with the support that they've provided. 
uh, the one which is a center of truth and reconciliation. There's Reconciliation Canada is another uh, really valuable resource. And just get started that way. Get on Google and educate yourself because that's the start of it. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Diane Redsky is the executive director of the Mumaway Wichita Center. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Nolan. And thank you again to Diane Redsky for speaking with us today. Coming up after the break, Jennifer Papararo, the executive director at the Plugin Institute of Contemporary Art, will join us to tell us more about Stages, Drawing the Curtain, which is a series of sculptures, installations, and performances throughout Winnipeg that's launching tomorrow, Friday, August 18th. It will be very interesting, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, though, here are the Youngbloods with Get Together, right here on River City 360. is but a song we sing Fierce we will die You can make the mountains ring Or make the angels cry Though the bird is on the wing And you may not
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you in studio, and I am now joined by Jennifer Proparo. She is the curator of Stages Drawing the Curtain, which is an installation from the plug-in Institute of Contemporary Art that is happening all throughout the downtown and the exchange, and we're going to learn a little bit more about it right now. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really liked the description of Stages Online, where it was described as sort of a constellation of public art. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the common thread of stages is? Because as I mentioned, it's not just happening in one place, it's actually happening in different spots all throughout the downtown. I think the initial drive for stages um, was to challenge plug-in a little bit, um, to take art uh, beyond our walls and to put it out into the city in different ways. Um, also to respond to artists changing practices, which you know aren't necessarily confined to gallery spaces. And we wanted to really uh, address the city and use the city as a subject, um, but also um, engage uh, Winnipeggers at large. So, um, and within that frame, we use the concept of the stage. And uh, the stage, um, not as its theatrical counterpart or um, uh, its conventional use of a stage, but looking at it more like an object or a place to perform um, the object itself as something that could be animated. It's the stage as a performer um, and then uh, performances in places that aren't necessarily designed for performances. And that was one of the cool things about when I was reading through the descriptions because there are performances that are happening at Bonnie Castle Park. There are performances that are happening at the Hudson's Bay Building. So wondering if you can tell me a little bit about some of the locations in particular and why they lend themselves to this public art project. Well, we uh, brought all the artists. There are nine artists in stages all together, and there are two local artists, four from across the country, and then three uh, who are international artists. And we brought everybody here to do site visits, to wander the streets. They also gave public talks. But we we directed to them to some key sites that we thought would be interesting. We thought a lot of people would um, would walk by, but generally they chose their own locations. So the bay is uh, a site. It's right across the street from Plugin, um, but it's also uh, this historic place in Winnipeg that seems to be uh, a f- almost nostalgic, I- even though it's still there and operational. It's like it's barely open to the public and so we're we're using spaces that are now closed. Uh, one of the spaces, Toral Johannesson, who's an artist from Norway, is setting up a complex 10-channel radio uh, drama on the fourth floor and it's a sci-fi drama about the future of eyesight where the eyes no longer exist. They sort of become just like a shadow like the appendix. The appendix we can't figure out what its use were and so it's like contemplating a time where the eyes where we see so differently that we can't even imagine that and then Christabel Stewart who's an artist from British Columbia 
and she is using the bay basement one um for its relationship to its colonialist history in terms of its engagement with indigenous cultures and she's bringing up her mother's her grandmother's band called the potato gardens band and they were a band of um, women who uh, played just homemade instruments from string instruments that they played with their mouths to like jugs and um, other kind of homemade instruments like that. And there were these recordings that she um, has and she's interpreting those with um, some contemporary artists, Janine Freitna-Jutley, who's also from British Columbia, and then Laura Ortman, who is a violinist uh, from a, an abstract experimental violinist from New York. And they're going to be coming up and using the Bay Basement, um, the abandoned Bay Basement, as a sort of like a ghost-like space to interpret this music from the early 1900s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. You mentioned a couple of the artworks that are there, like some of the soundscapes, the audio drama. There's also some other visual art as well. There's sculpture and dance performances. Tell us a little bit about those that are taking place. Yeah, um, there is one, Frederico Herrero. He is an artist from uh, Costa Rica, from San Jose. And he is known for um, his site-specific paintings. So he will engage a site or a piece of architecture or a city at large and then paint on them. He, He works in the medium of paint. And um, uh, we wandered the city with him. He came out a couple of times, and uh, we thought we had the perfect location for him. We had two possible locations, and then we just thought we'd push it a bit more. And uh, then we were wandering around City Hall, and just talking to people, we were thinking about maybe doing something on the um, safety building uh, or the old parking lot, potentially just to, as it's kind of fading away, just to articulate it through paint. Um, But then some, just a passerby, told us about the tunnels connecting the City Hall to Centennial Hall. And we went down there, and he just kind of fell in love with them, partly because they're so definitive of Winnipeg and the climate that we have here, that it forced Forces people underground to stay warm and to fight the cold, um, and then him coming from a climate where that's almost unimaginable. His paintings tend to be very colorful, very abstract, and patterns, and he wanted to bring um, this sort of brightness. He's called the Peace Landscape. Um, to the tunnels downstairs. And the tunnel is really long and very big, and it winds in three places. So he's created a rhythm um, through uh, density and then color and and shifts in patterning and shapes uh, throughout the space. So uh, it's it's really beautiful. We're hoping uh, that it'll stay longer than just the duration of stages, which is only until September 4th. There are also some events that are scheduled around stages, even though a lot of the art will be accessible pretty much most of the day to uh, to people that are passing by. But some of the specific scheduled things, there are guided tours that are happening, and there's one happening this Sunday, August 20th, starting at noon at plug-in gallery and there are also some tours that are happening all throughout the duration of the exhibition up until september 4th could you tell us about some of those uh like how those guided tours work and how people can take part in them 
Yeah, um, we have, uh, there's a lot of detail on our website um, at stages.plugin.org, um, but also we are having a launch party at Plugin on Friday night from 7 until 11 p.m. It'll be on our rooftop, and we'll have um, detailed uh, schedules and brochures there, which will outline everything. Um, so we hope people come to gather information there. There won't be many artworks in the space, although we'll have some performances and DJs and things. Um, but it's more to gather information and that's what the guided tours are um, we'll have somebody uh, either walk or bike um, we have a trolley tour as well and um, I'll be giving a tour also and uh, we're just walking through the different sites and just giving a bit of information about each but um, directing people to uh, to the places more than not, but also engaging the city so you walk from one piece to the next so it becomes a collective experience that's sort of expanded over the duration of the walk. And the I think it would take probably about an hour and a half to two hours to see everything in total. Having curated all of these public art pieces, what are you hoping that Winnipeggers will take away from experiencing these artworks? That that's a good question. I, I'm not sure it's one that I really know how to answer, but I I feel like what better way to engage a city to engage Winnipeg, um, Winnipeggers, uh, but through art. And it's not always just engaging them through something that's nice to look at or that is entertaining, but to also just draw sort of critical questions um, through art. And I think that's one of the things that art can do really well. And it's not that you might recognize that right away, but it happens slowly over time. But also uh, just to maybe shift the way that people engage with the uh, the city in a day-to-day way by bringing them interesting artists and hopefully something that they might not expect to encounter. So we're really... um, looking for a lot of happenstance uh, encounters as well. Uh, One of the artworks um, is Abbas Akvan, and it's at Bonnie Castle Park uh, on the fountain, and it happens at sunset, seven days during uh, the exhibition of stages. And we're going to, there's a monument, uh, a platform for a monument that has been removed. And so Abbas is going to use it as a stage, and he's um, working with, local uh, drag performers to do performances, half an hour performances on the pedestal in the fountain every night at at sunset. So we're hoping to get people to come to see the performances, but we're hoping that just to engage people who are walking by to come up and see them as well. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. So Stages is happening uh, starting this Friday, August 18th, running through September 4th. And the launch party is happening on Friday as well, on the 18th from 7 p.m. And that's taking place at Plugin Gallery. That's right. Perfect. And of course, if people want to get more information about all of the sites or any of the scheduled performances, they can go to stages.plugin.org. Jennifer Papararo is the curator of Stages Drawing the Curtain through the Plugin Gallery. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing this information about Stages. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks, Robert, and thanks again to Jennifer Papararo. Coming up after the break, we're going to hear from Christine Nickel and Christine Ahrens, the co-hosts of A Winnipeg Slice. You might have heard their segments airing right here on CJNU Monday to Friday. But before we get to that, here's Joe Loss with Stagecoach 1942 right here on RC360. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio as we have been almost every week for the entire summer by Christy Nichols. She's one half of a Winnipeg Slice, a weekly episodic news moment here on uh, CJNU. Christy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for not being sick of me yet. Oh, not yet. Never. I will never be sick of you. So (laughs) we're here to talk about what you are uh, talking about on a Winnipeg Slice this year. So I understand you spoke with Lisa Bagan from the Heart and Stroke Foundation and learned a little bit about an upcoming class that uh, the public can take to learn about CPR. So tell us about uh, your conversation with Lisa. Yeah, so she is the resuscitation program manager at the Heart and Stroke Foundation. So if you ever need CPR or AED, uh, this is the person that you want to be in the room with when that happens. For sure. Uh, So the event that we were talking about is called Community of Heroes, and it happens August 27th, that's a Sunday, uh, between 11 and 3 at the Forks Under the Canopy. Basically, it's an event that focuses on CPR and AED training, which for those of you who don't know is Automated External Defibrillator Training. And uh, and it's training for the public. It's free to attend. So uh, if you come, you can learn how to possibly save a life. And she told me about a special gift that the first 200 people get who finish the training. So the first 200 participants that come down actually will get a free CPR kit that they take home with them. In this kit, you would not believe, but it has a small mannequin. It has a DVD. You pop that DVD in your uh, player, and in 20 minutes, you can learn CPR at home. So if 200 people get this kit, that then I would imagine the event is going to be pretty big. If only the first 200, there's how many people are they expecting? Yeah, so it's actually a pretty big deal, and I, I haven't heard about it until this year, but last year it was apparently rainy and cold, and they got nearly 200 people at in bad weather. So mm-hmm. but we're hoping for good weather this year, and hopefully... Uh, more people can be informed about saving lives. Do you uh, personally know how to do CPR? I do. Um, I used to coach, so I was required to take the course every year. Mm-hmm. Dad, do you know how to do it? I was a lifeguard for about 10 years. So I'm, I mean, this was a, a while ago now, so I don't think I'm legally certified to do it, but I think right. in a in a pinch, I would probably be at, at least know the basics, but uh, like you have to renew every couple of years or something. Yeah, you actually have to recertify every year, um, but the actual process of performing CPR apparently changes every five years mm-hmm. and it updates itself. So I'm technically not certified anymore either. Um, but the cool thing about this class is it teaches hands-only CPR, which is what you you use in a public situation if you don't know the person who needs, okay. needs it. Yeah, because I was told there's no more breaths anymore. It's only compressions, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Yeah, I don't o- know. only when it comes to uh, public CPR. So okay. if you don't know the person. But uh, if you're still taking the course and you're getting certified, you are going to be using uh, breaths as well. Gotcha. Yeah, hands-only CPR has come around in the past five years or so. It was, uh, it's a very handy thing to learn, especially with the number of people affected by cardiac arrests in Canada. Well, in Canada, we know that we have 40,000 cardiac arrests that occur every year, and 85% of those actually happen outside of a medical facility. So they can happen in people's homes, they can happen in any public venue. So it's really important for the bystander to react quickly, and the only way that they're going to react quickly is if they know what to do. So coming to an event like this, in as little as 15 minutes, you will know the skills needed to react quickly in a cardiac situation. So it's really important for the public to to come to an event like this and get the understanding of what to do. So those numbers are pretty shocking. Um, I think probably the scariest part is the majority happens outside of hospitals. So you, so an event like this that's actually teaching people and it could actually save lives. Like this community, it's called Community of Heroes. 
Yeah, and yeah. It's it's very important to inform people and give them the tools. I would imagine to react quickly because the quicker you react, the the better someone has, the better chances someone has of survival. Yeah, totally. And and just so our listeners know, like the Community of Heroes event doesn't actually give you the proper certification. So we were just talking about the two different types. So uh, it's an informative, hands-on training session, but you won't get that official card or certificate afterwards. So if you want to get certified for either job purposes or just for personal reasons, you need to take the actual course, which you can do so through the Heart and Stroke Foundation, as Lisa will tell you. Right. At this event, because it is hands-only CPR, we can teach you the skills needed to save a life in as little as 15 minutes. But an actual course will give you much more practice time. Uh, A course will take four hours, and you do get a certification at the end. All of our courses are on our website at heartandstroke.ca. Great. So on August 27th, uh, the Sunday, August 27th, the Community of Heroes event happens. Uh, for more information, you can check out the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Uh, thank you so much, Christy Nickel, for taking your time to tell us about this wonderful event. And uh, good, uh, good luck out there if you ever have to use CPR. <laughs> thank you so much. And we just heard from Christy Nickel, and we're now joined in studio by her co-host, Christine Ahrens. Christine, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Chris, Christine, and I, I just mix it all up. So I, I I'm just going to call you both Chris, maybe. That might be the, the quickest way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine by me. So I understand we're talking about uh, the Exchange District. So tell me a little bit about your story for a Winnipeg Slice this week. For sure. So I actually got to talk to Eric, who's the Executive Director from Artspace. And he got to tell me a little bit about how much the Exchange District has changed in the past 30 years. And really, it all started with Artspace. And so he told me how Artspace came to be. 30 years ago, the Exchange District wasn't this vibrant, creative uh, neighborhood as we know it now, which is uh, exactly why ArtSpace was created at the time the federal government, the province, and the city got together and said, hey, if we want to change this neighborhood, what better way than to take the Grand Dame of, uh, of the exchange, the Galt Building, and give it to art organizations? So it's a very bold idea, a very audacious idea, this all happened around 1980. So $90 million was put into the Galt building, which originally was just used as a dry goods warehouse. And so the $90 million was put in to reconstruct the 116-year-old building, which now we know as art space. Very cool. I did, I had, I've walked past that place dozens of times. I had no idea that the building was uh, over a century old, but uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people concerned about preserving such an important sort of part of Winnipeg's history. Of course, yeah. So preserving the historical aspects of the building was definitely a challenge. Uh, The architects, the builders, designers, they were all thinking about what needed to be kept, like the stone and the brick exterior was definitely important. Um, But they still had to make sure the building was energy efficient and that it fit in with new fire and construction codes. Uh, So it actually took them three years to renovate it. So after all of the renovations, what what is the building used for exactly today? Basically anything you can think of related to art. Uh, art space has six floors, so there's so much room for artist studios, writing studios, a gallery, a movie theater, and it actually houses 22 art organizations. Uh, these are organizations that work with film, uh, book publishing, magazines, visual arts. It just it goes on, so it's really anything you can think of that has to do with art. That would be a really cool place for a creative to sort of have their home base, and it's probably pretty inspirational for the creative types that work in Winnipeg. And I had no idea that all that was there uh, 
for a building that's been around for three decades. Right. Well, actually, many people don't know what they have in that building. So that's why they decided to host a little party. Uh, they realize that people really have no idea what they are. They just mm-hmm. walk right on by. So they wanted to show everyone what they have to offer. Uh, so they're having this party. They're opening up six floors of their building, even the rooftop, where Pat Lazo, who is a very talented Winnipeg artist, he will be painting a mural where you can go watch him paint it as the sun sets. Oh, wow. Cool. It's going to be beautiful for sure but actually each floor is going to be different so there's going to be live music happening by cash grab and red moon road uh, you're also going to be able to create your own signature cocktail i believe fourth is teaching that wow. class so there's so much happening even if you're not into uh maybe painting and art the art scene you're still gonna be music there's still gonna be drinks it's gonna be great um so they decided to name the event lost in art space to give people an idea of what to expect when they head on into the party yeah it's an idea that Come get lost. <laughs> come come to discover. You might not know what floor you're on. You might not know what's happening around the corner. Uh, and that's okay. But beyond the art and the music, Artspace actually has included a bunch of businesses in the Exchange District to become part of the event. So if you haven't been in the... If you haven't been in the Exchange District for a while, this could be a really good opportunity to see what has been setting up there lately. Uh, Eric tells us a little bit about how the whole Exchange District came together for this event. It was easy to cross the street at King and Bandatine and ask Mike, hey, do you want to come offer some sandwiches? And he was on board. It was easy to trickle over to a little brown jug and go, hey, do you guys want to serve uh, some LBJ beer at our event? And they're like, sure. It was easy to go to Fourth because I hang out at Fourth a lot. And <laughs> they're like, hey, Josie, do you want to make some cocktails for us and it's like yeah sure not a problem it was easy to go to hut k and go hey do you guys want to bring some of your furniture so we can jazz up our boardroom and they're like sure not a problem so it was actually insanely fun and also revealing on just how much this neighborhood has changed and how much people in this neighborhood it's not box stores it's not franchises it's people who want to be here who want to make a difference and who like being here so it was easy to sort of invite them all and be a part of this party. So when is this wonderful event? It sounds like such a good time. I think maybe even I'll stop on by. Yeah, for sure. So it's next week. That's August 24th at the Art Space Building. Uh, if you want to get your ticket early, go to art-space.ca or just go to one of the participating vendors. There's Little Brown Jug, O Donuts, Fourth. They all have tickets. So just head on to really anywhere in the di- Exchange District to get your ticket. Very cool. So art-space.ca for more information about Lost in Art Space. Sounds like a really cool event. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. Christine Ahrens of A Winnipeg Slice. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. See you next week. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening today, and thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us and telling us their stories. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all of those things via our website. Just visit rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Our listener line is open 24-7, so any time of the day, right after the show, or even if you have an idea that's just come to mind, if there's a song you want to hear or a story idea, send it our way. Or if you just want to tell us we're doing a good job, we'd love to hear your feedback. 
Give us a call, the number again is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening to the show today, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.